0: So, Al, I'm going to ask how you're doing, but I know you're going in for a COVID test today, so that <laughs> doesn't
1: bode well. <laughs> so, you know, here's here's what I think is really going on. I think I have a cold, but um, enough of the symptoms, of course, of just having a cold are shared with what might be going on with COVID. So I've got congestion. I, had, um, uh, I, I didn't check for temperature, but I felt hot. I was taking, you know, aspirin and various different decongestants to fight all of that off. Um, especially what, what, um, annoys me or spooks me a little bit is I've had my little bit of oral surgery, you know, where there's a tooth right here, the uh, molar that needed to come out and then have bone rebuilt. So we could take a replacement and so all that interesting, uh, interaction between your sinus cavity and your nose and your mouth and all that kind of stuff, any, the Deacon getting congested was like building up pressure. So that was painful and I don't think there's any infection going on there because i'm not smelling bad tasting bad any of those kinds of things but it's just where you don't want to have any congestion because there's nowhere for it to go except this wound that is still healing and getting correct so i um and given that even though colleen and i have been very 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 careful about mashing up in public staying out of closed spaces all that kind of stuff it is still that the delta variant is out there much more aggressive that even if you're careful, did you wash your hands every single time? Did you really, you know, even if you had your mask off only outdoors, all you need to do is get a little aerosol. And I don't, you know, even with my having been vaccinated, you know, I'm fully vaccinated with the Pfizer from back in March, April. But you're reading all the stories about, hey, it's losing its effectiveness slightly after like four months. And so now instead of being the 99%, I'm totally armored state, I'm at the 60%. And, and you know, it's kind of funny. I... It really isn't only, oh no, I'm uncomfortable. It is, I so much don't want to have it so that then I have to be, well, Colleen lives with me. I don't want to be typhoid Al and carry it to her. So never having been tested all through this because I never really thought that I had it or had symptoms of it. This is the first time that something could be or could be mistaken for it. And and so it's easy. Um, I had a lot of friends who also have gone through testing or had breakthrough COVID or other things. Tell me, you know, at first... My trepidation about going in for it was, well, when they show the diagram, they show you like leaning your head back and someone sticking a long Q-tip all the way back into your sinuses, like halfway into your skull, it looked like. <laughs> well, apparently, and I was worried about, well, if they go in the right nostril instead of the left nostril, who might ever have a condition in my life where I'd have to be specific about which nostril. I, don't, I was worried like, well, now I'm, I'm healing there. I don't want them to... Yeah tear any membranes i don't want them to dislodge a stitch god damn it you know the the perfect storm is right here in in this spot on my face and i just so you get a little you know so luckily i've been told that when you go in either they do it or you do it yourself all you have to do is go within like three quarters of an inch to an inch into your nose and collect enough mucus and other inside your nose stuff That they have a good enough sample that they'll be able to test it for the presence of COVID nasties, and that there's I'm getting two tests done because they allowed you to sign up for multiple tests. I'm getting the quick one, which like in 15 minutes will say yep, nope, but that's not perfectly accurate. Right, Uh, I remember I I haven't um, you know absorbed all of it. I think the PCR test is the one that is you get it within like three days, but that one is 99% accurate or something like that, and so. Not only will I have a quick reassurance that I do or don't need to quarantine, do or don't need to mask up around Colleen, et cetera, et cetera. We've already been kind of staying separate, which is tough because we're kind of a cuddly couple. You know what I mean? It'll it'll just be, I've always been, uh, I'd rather know. Even if it's like, well, you know, crap, I've got it. Now what do I do? I'd rather know than, than the wonder and the worry and right. the, you know, just not, well, I don't want to be the guy. <laughs> well, you've got the best shirt on for today. It's so. always
0: something. Exactly. <laughs> right. So, we, we <laughs> a, a, a little story uh, and, and not, uh, you know, bring anything down. My uncle doesn't believe COVID, but he's also the one that will read. My mother always says, Where did you read that? In Motor Trend Magazine, you know, because he'll read any article and completely believe it. But then when you show him science facts and figures and stuff, he's like, ah, blah, blah, You know, he's one of those. Okay. Love my uncle dearly, but, you know, just any random thing, he'll be like, well, see, I read it here. What's the source of that? Where, you know, come on.
1: Reading it in the Inquirer or a step <sighs> up from that isn't something that you but should trouble yourself with. <laughs> it was
0: an ad I saw while playing Farmville. So it's exactly. got to be true. But so <laughs> yes. him and his neighbor, good buddies, um, both of them are rednecks. I mean, they live in redneck area and okay. uh, the neighbor has never, oh, it's all fake. It's all this, that, and the other thing. I, I haven't really spent much time with his neighbor. Let's put it that way.
1: Yeah, yeah
0: Unfortunately, earlier this year, his neighbor got cancer, and he's been going through treatment. And my uncle's been moving at the same time. So I felt bad for him. He wasn't able to spend as much time with his friend. His friend was going through a whole lot of all this, that, and the other thing. And you know what that does to your body and all that? Sure. Then his friend caught COVID, and his friend didn't make it. Oh, man. and my uncle's attitude changed and you don't want to wish that's like on anybody well see now do you believe us or right. ha ha told you you know none no. of that right but why does it take something like that to get people to Liz, I mean, how many memes have we both seen? You post a lot of them about, yeah, you'll believe the. My uncle's a perfect example. You know, somebody in the supermarket said, well, this must be true, and you believe that, but you get this scientist who's had years of experience and education, and oh, he's got to be lying. Right. Well, where is that thinking coming from?
1: It's, I, I don't know, I'm spooked by how prevalent that is. You know what I mean? That there really is, and, and, you know, everybody always makes the, the kind of just overall comment, hey, don't read the comments, you'll really feel bad about America. But it's not only that they even think that way, it's the virulence, it's yeah. the certainty with which they are sure that the only motivation for a doctor is not to cure you, it's for the money. And unless they're getting a kickback from this drug company, then they're, you know, and all the the wacky, conspiracy theories, they come up often seem to me like projection. It's like, well, because you're a corrupt individual in that situation, you would look, how could I turn this to my advantage instead of, no, save the children, save my next door neighbor, save my right. wife. I I just, it's, it, it continually, when I try to put myself in that place and like, you know, understand them and maybe empathize with them, I feel terrible to think there really are people that are willing to, Dismiss expertise, dismiss common sense, dismiss scientific data, and just go with what's the worst possible way to think about this. And that's what I'm going to choose. You know, they, Yeah. this is just just such a, I don't know, I just watched, you know, Alex Jones uh, take ivermectin and swizzle it down with a beer. And like, how in the world is that persuasive? How in the world, unless you're already like an Alex Jones total fucking minion, an idiot that watches him every day, that hey, he just pulled another stunt. You know what I mean? Right. Like, don't you care about getting the truth more than that one? Especially, I, I, Colleen has made a comment just recently, and I think it's really true. People care more about them thinking they're right than them being alive or dead. I, <laughs> there's so little certainty uh, that it to be found in. The right way that they—the first thing they learn about—is what yeah. they grasp onto, and then will not change their mind no matter what it. Oh well, I, I would say
0: there's a lot of it that can be traced back to a certain high-profile individual from the last couple of years that was extremely convincing for the. Let, let's say not the 2% of Mensons, right. <laughs>
1: you know? Well, just that yeah, low information voters is a, a phrase that I've heard for a long time. <laughs> That's a good one. But I mean, but, but even then, the fact that he was such an avatar of that stupidity, this isn't the first time this stuff has been around. You know what I mean? You go back to the 80s and already people were like, it's a, there's so many like standard catchphrases that you hear from people trying to analyze this. How did you get people to vote against their own self-interest? You know what I mean? It doesn't even have to be life or death. It can just be economically, that's foolish. Socially, that's foolish. Educationally, that's foolish. And yet they kept on siding with snake oil salesmen, the worst of the con men, people that have been revealed as con men. And they said, well, he's my guy. I could have a beer with him. Televangelists, honestly, and and I just (laughs) there's an old
0: old marketing adage, and I'm sure you know this one: that people don't buy something the first time they hear it or see it. It's like the seventh or ninth or something time they see it in a magazine, they see it on billboard, they hear the commercial on the radio every day going to work, and it turns and, and you can see this in the marketing, but it turns from an interesting marketing product to total belief, and people will say things oh well this is how it is but it's what they've heard on the marketing example was uh the guy that did a gorilla marketing uh jay conrad no that was that was the soup guy oh cool. uh, anyway um he said him and a bunch of marketers were going to a convention they got in a car the cat or the cabbie asked him you know hey what do you guys do and they said oh we do marketing but he says oh i don't believe in any of that stuff they're like oh really well, what type of toothpaste do you use? He goes, well, I use such and such toothpaste because Because I don't have time to brush all the time in between wheels.
1: Repeat the catchphrase. Yes,
0: but but in their mind, it's the truth. So there's a lot of psychology in the marketing and we've got some people in politics and elsewhere that know that and they use that. So then you get all these people that jump on the bandwagon and they get so... Behind it, so it's got to be the truth. Well, it's only the truth because you've heard it twenty times and now you believe it. It's
1: I hear you. I'll tell you, uh, this is a huge shift for me. Um, I, I learned about memetics probably fifteen years ago, let's say even more, twenty, going on twenty-five. The reason I learned about it was because I was doing genetic algorithms for my uh, trading systems development, and first read from Richard Dawkins. Um, the idea of a meme, a virus of the mind that acts very much like a virus does in a population and that the way it transmits and its success, it isn't anything at all about truth. It's how easily it's repeated, how often you're exposed to it, what payoff you might think you might get from it. It doesn't have to be that there's any validity to the payoff that it offers, but it sure is persuasive. Who doesn't want to go to heaven? Who doesn't want their candidate to win? And and All of these other things. Colleen often expresses that advertising is based on, if you buy this product, you will be loved. Right. And how many advertisements are based just on that? You'll be more attractive. You'll find the right mate. You'll be that much more handsome, more pretty. And that has been in my mind for the last 25 years of mimetics works. Advertising has always been based on it. Sloganeering campaigns, catchy song lyrics. There's so many examples. I mean, I devoured the subject. Read all the books about it at the uh, time hasn't gotten any if you will better it's gotten worse people discovered even the first time you heard someone say about social media hey it's gone viral that whole idea of memetics was in play and the most important thing is it doesn't have to be true at all right it's right. not at all about hey it's a successful idea because it pushed the other bad ideas out no, that is not the case at all. It's the opposite of science. You don't need to prove anything. You don't need to have peer review of it. You don't need to have it have explanatory and then predictive ability. It is just catchy for whatever reason. And people, like you said, politicians, advertisers have learned to let's, let's find oh, its way into your brain. Make it into a jingle. It'll be catchy. And so you have people that can indeed recite all those Saturday morning cartoon show theme songs, all those advertising jingles from decades ago. Right. They're in there forever. And for whatever reason, they're pleasantly predisposed to, um, let's see, palm olive. Oh, you're soaking in it. They don't know anything about what palm olive does, how effective it is versus other things. <laughs> it's that they just had, this was an amusing commercial. It made me laugh. And laughter is always a good way to get on the good side of someone. And so the more that I've um, seen how it's been used for the dark side, that people are really good at coming up with nasty catchphrases, false, you, you, we've talked about this a little bit, you know, I can't think of a single bill that's been passed in the last 20 years at least that doesn't have a nice acronym like the Patriot Act. Right. It is exactly the freaking opposite of what it's about. It is the mask of patriotism while being all about costing citizens their rights setting up a surveillance state um everything you hear about called the Clean clean air act the clean water act the right to work act they're all exactly the opposite of what they purport to be but once you just they just say hook this and this together well, it doesn't have to be that it's all true it just has to be that you create the association and people are bum-fuzzled bamboozled foolish in terms of how effective this is
0: how many times do people share posts and articles and all they did was read the clickbait headline they didn't read the whole Absolutely. article or song lyrics and you know like the the best one uh every breath you take by the police people are like oh it's such a lovely love song no it's about a stalker have you, you heard the lyrics that? exactly, exactly. sting oh. was confounded by that and you mentioned the palm thing and that's what's hilarious people say, well, look, you can soak in it. It must be good. So what? It still makes my hands, you know, soapy and, and yes, you know, actually, it's like, it <laughs> doesn't even make sense. And Tony Robbins talks about that with, uh, the, uh, the, um, AT&T commercials. They're like, they don't sell you how clear their voice sounds. They don't sell you how many miles of cord they have. They sell you, oh, Grandma feels bad because you haven't talked to her. Don't feel guilty. And man, if you called grandma right now, you'd feel so much better. AT and T, and they boom, they nailed it.
1: (laughs) Well, I'll tell you, any inspirational speaker, including Tony Robbins, is fantastic about the phrases he comes up. "Awaken the giant within." (laughs) I feel bad for having repeated that because I've just sold another book for him. Right? You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Every every time I have real difficulty nowadays even posting things to mock them, to talk about how false they are, because you know that in mimetically, you're contributing to their distribution. So most of the time I try to talk about it. If I include it in my post, it's with within quotes and enough of an illusion so people know what I'm talking about. But I didn't directly say, hey, MAGA. You know what I mean? It just is it, it the the effect it has is terrible. And so the reason that I said a huge shift for me at the start of what I my rant I have been such a free speech advocate for so long. I really used to say wonderful catchphrases like, the only cure for bad free speech is more good free speech. You have to be able to talk these things out. You have to be able to say, everybody can say whatever they want, but don't worry, the good ideas will win out. I really don't believe that anymore. I really believe it's a matter of memetics and that the way to cure bad free speech is treating it like a virus you quarantine it you develop a vaccine to kill it and stop it in its tracks you make sure that the population has herd immunity so that's how i treat these things now it's not a matter of repeating them and then mocking them it's a matter of i keep them out of my life i inoculate myself again and again by one of the ways in which they attack me so one of the reasons that i read consumer reports is not only because I get great product reviews and I find out which one to buy, it's the seeing the applied science of, we got rid of all the advertising, we looked at, does this thing really work as it should? Does this thing taste like it should? They get your mind thinking about what makes for a quality product, and then it's not a matter of, is a happy couple going to the beach? And don't worry, you can only do it in this kind of car. Or every other product, even when you see the most serious medical conditions, you know, we've been watching, I think i mentioned, Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy, just more common than we ever have before because they were lead into the Olympics. And you see that they're discussing life or death stuff, but the people that are taking this drug are always out on the beach having a great time or they're getting loved by their family or, hey, here comes a puppy to give them a kiss. It's so insidiously perfectly well done. Yeah. And and like they say, all they, they're required by law. Thank God we still have that to say, by the way, there's some side effects. And it could be that your testicles will explode and that you'll die of, of all these various yes. different things. But they say that it's kind of this little undercurrent. But of course, the message you're getting is you're going to be so much happier to be free of toenail fungus. And it's just <laughs> amazing how much this works. You know what I mean? That even while I'm, I think, pretty well inoculated, I have... Um, wow, that was a witty advertisement. I comment on the quality of the advertisement, not the quality of the product. Look, when everybody watches the Super Bowl ads, they have this little ad-off where they talk about, hey, did you like the Budweiser one? Did you like the Toyota one? Whoever the ones that have seen you know, there's a Bud Bowl. Everybody advertises each year. And it isn't about, is it a good or a bad beer? It's like, did the beer make you feel good? Are you there with your buddies? Did it have puppies involved? (laughs) Is it America? Let's throw some America in there. When you get all that combination of, Patriotism and wealth and you know the, the American ideals, it has nothing to do. Thank God there's still not cigarette advertising on the air, because as you know, cigarette advertising used to always be about what a sophisticated guy you were, what a what a modern lady you were. Not you might get cancer and die. Even though they had to put it on every single package and every single advertising. That well, wasn't at that's, all discussed. Ours are the least harmful cigarettes. <laughs> that you know that's I mean? funny you <laughs> mentioned that because.
0: Most of the groups I run with aren't big like sports and football watching people. Maybe we watch the F- Super Bowl, but we don't like go out of our way to do it. I so there's you. a certain group and I'll, I'll try not to be too derogatory, uh, but there's like certain groups of people that like their lives revolve around football and sports and and all these guys that make millions of dollars to chase the ball on the field <laughs> and look at the commercials. That's who they're targeting. Look at what they're, I mean, you know, come on. You see some of these commercials. They spend millions of dollars on the commercials and getting it placed because they know we've got them so wrapped Mm -hmm. around our finger and controlled that we'll just, we'll sell so much of our product after this that
1: we're good. We wouldn't spend millions if there wasn't a payoff of tens of millions, hundreds of millions, exactly.
0: And and, it is that one demographic really they're going after. (laughs) Yeah. You know, the people that will spend $200 to get the Sunday ticket and sit on their couch eating nachos, watching football, let's go after them because they're easy to get.
1: <laughs> I guess, you know what I mean? They are, Their defenses are down. They're ready to have a good time. And any advertisements that would be affiliated with National Football League, they must be cleared by somebody, right? No, no, there's, there's, <laughs> there's nothing going on. You can tell that they target various different audiences because you will see a change in ads on Jeopardy versus ads on the foolish sitcom that follows it. But I think that um, a- advertising is such an easy target because it really is meant to just be, just, just buy our stuff. You know what I mean? When you see an ad that actually says the reason this is a better product is because it, uh, it provably makes you safer, um, cures this disease. It's kind of a shock compared to all the happy talk and right. foolish glittery lies of everything else. Uh, I I think where I most find it objectionable is, you know, people also talk about this, people have become very good at mimetics, and especially it's a little bit of what they used to call like subliminal seduction, that you can have images in advertising or catchphrases and so forth that don't just come out and say, we don't like minorities, but they put all those things in that make you feel good about your particular minority that you are a part of, even a majority, that there's something inherently wrong with anybody who's not like you. And so you, you, you just, the way you talked about that, it's not only a single time, but a repetition of it. If you watch a show that continually portrays um, parents as fools, funny how the kids will start to think that they're the smartest people in the family and that the parents have nothing going on. And it can be Let's talk about that for women or for black people or for Chinese people or for gay people or whichever is the maligned majority that they're trying to get to. They don't have to come out and say, we don't like gay people, but they can have every single gay character's ventures always fail. They can have that. They're the ones that get into the biggest difficulties and that they associate, they affiliate. This is a bad lifestyle. This is a failed way of being in life. And then, of course, the guy who drives the pickup truck, the redneck, funny how everything always turns his way. You know, it, it, there's, I, there's nothing wrong with rooting for you, for yourself and your people and stuff like that. But if you're looking for where, what, why people object to what we have systemically in the United States, it really is a continual campaign <laughs> of portraying various different peoples in various different ways that they're not at all a, a, as equal. There's very right. much a caste system. There's a great book out now called The Cast that talks about Um, It's a matter in some cases of wealth. It isn't a matter of your skin tone or your uh, um, uh, gender identification. It absolutely is a matter of rich people are different than you and I. And in fact, they're better. And in fact, they deserve to be better. All those memes have been hitting us for a long frickin' time. And for a while, we fixed that. We we, we need to have um, the idea that all men are created equal and that people who get rich, do it, not only through hard work, but sometimes from inheritance, from luck, from being in the right place at the right time. All those things have been pushed out, and the only way, you know, when you watch Dallas or um, Dynasty, it was always, it doesn't matter how dastardly they were. It doesn't matter, you know, they, they acted as if they deserved everything they got, and that life is just automatically easier if you just demand. If you don't have any sense of responsibility or accountability, yeah. I think that that has infected a lot of America and that the more that you see that people really don't question how that guy get that rich. Did he really invent a brilliant thing that made the world better for lots of people? No, it seems that he might have done it on the backs of 100,000 workers, all of whom have had to go to government assistance because they're not getting paid a fair market wage. But they talk about it. They talk about this is capitalism. This is fair market wage. This is right to work. Any investigation into who really are the um, subsidized people in the United States. It's not welfare moms. It's all the corporations that have set up horrible siphons into our system that they get tax dollars from. Um, We're going to do some oil exploration because it's risky. You might as well subsidize that because we're a country-based oil and we have to do that. Even after, and then not only do they do it and persist with that for 20, 30, 40 years, have you solved this problem yet? Have you gotten any better at it? When do we get you off the public teat? Then they actually start, of course, they want that to continue. So they start to attack any of the alternatives. And I don't, you know, I, whenever I have this kind of rant, it's like, well, well, you know, that sounds kind of ranty and maybe paranoid. Well, it's not if it's the truth. If you look at all the numbers and you look at all the patterns and you look at the kinds of laws that have been passed very concertedly by the chambers of commerce that continually try to maintain an unfair advantage for various different groups, I, I don't see it as being, um, Al, you just don't like rich people. I see that 10% of rich people are probably doing the true capitalist thing, building a better mousetrap, and 90% of them seem to have an edge that they're not going to give up unless you... You know, what's the famous quote? You know, a piñata is full of treasure, but it doesn't come out until you bang it a couple of times. <laughs> right, right. And it come pouring out. <laughs> right. And
0: oh, hey, moment- uh, hold on, one sec. Okay,
1: sure. I'll come back later. Well- okay, sorry. <laughs> okay, so I just I have um, not certainty, but I have automatic suspicion when you see people talk about. Everybody that says, Well, I'm, I got my way because I was smart and took the risks, and here it is. It's like, Well, let's, let's look into that a little bit. You know what I mean? Uh, the people that talk about, Wow, I started from nothing. You find out that they really started with a $500,000 loan from their parents. And do you know what right. I mean? That right, right. The yeah. Rags richest success stories are so full of holes, and yet they want to tell you the false story because the real story isn't as persuasive. It isn't as, like, here's, here's how I, a hardy, uh, entrepreneur individual really made it no you had your way paved and you got your sweetheart deal oh my god the the one that cracks me up
0: is all the parents who are pushing their kids from young grades and up all through school focus on baseball or football or basketball that's what you should do do it every day play all the games get better be the best because they're putting all their hopes on this kid going to pros and making millions of dollars. And it, it's like, you know, out of all the high schools here in Northeast Ohio, the chance of even one of these kids going somewhere is almost zilch. And yet every parent will push their kids, go play basketball, go do more, get better, get better, because that's what we're putting our hopes on. So now your grades have failed. You're kind of a crap person and you, you, you can't even get a, back on exactly. Yeah, you can't it. even get a scholarship into college. Uh, so you you. you, you it, it, what type of plan is that? But because, like we've been saying, they've got it through their head. Oh, this is the life. This is what Americans are for. And my kid is so good. No, we've had LeBron James. He's like the only big star that's come out of Ohio in how many years?
1: How many years? You know. right. I'll tell you something that happens there, there's a there's a big logical fallacy, something that our brains really embrace, that is, you know, what makes a real victory is if it's wonderful, sudden, startling, like winning the lottery. Everybody talks about the winning the lottery fantasy. And if you took all the 20-year-olds and said, the way you get to be a millionaire is to save money starting now and let it grow with a certain amount of compound interest, and ba boom, you'll be a millionaire almost guaranteedly by the time you retire and et cetera, et cetera. Instead, we talk about nope, got to become a poker player, got to become a sports figure, got to become a singer on, you know, uh, the, a the streamer,
0: stuff, a game uh, streamer, th- th-
1: those kinds of things. And Freakonomics goes into this really well that the same uh, big payoff mentality that inhabits each of those various different fields of endeavor is the same for drug dealers. It's the same for most criminals that they're looking for the big payoff and that they'll, hey, then they'll retire. They'll buy some land in Aruba and go live on the beach. Right. And that dream is enough to maintain a lot of people attempting it, even though the odds are astronomically truly like one in a million billion trillion against them. But the people that are in the system, they want people to keep kind, kind of trying it crashing on the shoals of this next to impossible thing, because while they're doing it, they're siphoning off all of their share of the system's wealth. And wow, I, I think that, I, I, like, for instance, I, uh, I'm investing regularly. We've talked about this not for a long time because the market has, I, I just uh, went through a big number, a nice plateau that I had hoped to reach. And how did I get there? Not taking, I, I take on relatively aggressive um, investments, but I diversify across a whole bunch of them because I don't know which one is going to win, but I know that five out of my 20, 20 out of my hundred. Are going to do well. So I just try to be good enough at understanding the characteristics that are behind companies that can win like that and getting in on as many of them as possible. And my overall portfolio is doing well. I'm, I'm once again over like, you know, I'm 300% up, if you will. And so it, but the difficulty with that is I see all the people being, um, advertised to by Robinhood. You know, there's, there's an app now that's all about kind of treating investing as the gambling that many people have always called it. And it really is only the emotional thing. It's the big win and loss. It's the, let's catch that next big wave up. It's not be smart, do your research, get it on as many good things as possible, and then let time work for you. And so it's kind of heartbreaking to say, especially when things get into the news, because they are, statistically wacky when amc or gamestop or you know the latest cannabis stock the latest bitcoin uh, i should say cryptocurrency you know bitcoin is already eponymous with that so people <laughs> you know what I mean that kind of thing that it isn't only a matter of i should get into this next thing because that's where there's so much money to be made like wow you're you're uh, you're waiting to be fleeced You really don't have defenses up. You don't have any ability to, how would you differentiate between those four fields that I just talked about and the best two, three, five stocks in each of those things? You don't. You read the latest wackiness from the latest people that are trying to pump and dump or the latest that are trying to get their particular stock to go up and that it all seems to be like marketing created, not quality of the company created. So I guess, again, a a real uh, respectful shout out to the Motley Fool. That they really seem to do the research that says what matters about a company, the quality of the leadership, the way that they are generating sales, and is that sustainable? Do they have a competitive advantage that is sustainable? Um, the analysis they do is the same kinds of things that I want to learn about these various different companies, and them out of the tens of thousands of companies saying, here's some good ones, I've come to trust, after I read what they've said, saying they did the research. I think right. I will go with it. Um, they have hardly any of the here's the best stock to buy today boo and then throw some confetti in the air you know what i mean the the crazy advertising car salesman way Cramid, of investing absolutely <laughs> again it's like and in the in the background here's he's in a speedboat look at how cool his life is that he invests in real estate so wantonly and i just it breaks my heart to see how even in something that could be Absolutely, a matter of numbers. We've got a hundred years worth of data through all kinds of political climates, economic climates, world wars, pandemics, whatever else it might be. You really could see what works and what doesn't. And there's always someone willing to say, "Throw all that away. I got the real deal."
0: Yeah.
1: Like, why would you believe any of those a holes? Because it's the same mindset to say, "I want to go all in. I want to be the poker guy that I didn't win the tournament by." Slowly winning, always judging the odds, accreting my wins so that soon I had the biggest pile, they want to be the guy that I made the one big decision and that's all that mattered was I bet it all. And it that's just so often the worst thing that you should do. And yet the the camera demands it now that they're putting these things, you know, on TV, they want drama. They want people yeah. to, like, you know, lower their sunglasses and give them the steely eye and judge their soul, judge their value as a human being, and then say, I'm all in on you.
0: Yeah. It- <laughs> and, 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 oh, wow. So, you know, let me equate this. Uh, we This kind of melds into our next topic a bit, but this weekend uh, yes. I, I mentioned to you uh, I ran into kind of the same type of thinking. Uh we went to our local Hartville flea market which is very huge. It's a not okay. as good as it was 20 25 years ago, but uh you know, I digress. Um it's that same type of thinking though. You know, the original set of Star Wars figures. If you have one that is mint in the is worth a fortune. I mean, if you had those still in the packaging in very good shape, you like your comic books. You got some of those yeah. certain you know but people think, oh, Star Wars toys and comics are worth lots of money. And they'll pull out the crap comics from the 90s <laughs> with covers that are falling off. Their bet increased. They put them in a box on the ground with all the dust hitting it in the sun. So it's exactly. getting faded and everyone's pawing through it with no protection. And they're like, yeah, that's a $3,000 book. <laughs> okay. I'm not giving you 10 cents for it because it's a piece of crap. But right. It's that mindset. Oh, people have gotten rich selling comics. No, people have gotten rich selling a very certain comic that is in a very certain type of shape. That That's, that's right. the reality. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I showed you, I sent pictures of a few albums, some really good uh, rock albums, classics
1: yeah, for the show by Kansas, a fantastic yeah. album. Exactly.
0: And, right. and, you know, I saw video games. I saw movies, VHS movies, okay. but there's a lot of these people that have them sitting in the sun all day. Th- yeah. That mag, that media does not hold up well in the sun. Plastic figures do not hold up well in that's the like sun. They're Hot wheels They're, is
1: warping. they're actually yeah. melting depending on how bad it gets. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You
0: know, and, and <laughs> th- it, that's, I, I, you know, you mentioned talking about the toys of our past and this kind of ties into it. It's that mentality. Oh, I, I told you this before, people, when Phantom Menace came out, were going to Walmart and buying everything off the shelf because, oh, it's going to pay for my kid's college in 20 years. No, it's not, because they're not worth anything.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's- you, you bought the least scarce, the one that it is. It has a million copies out there, et cetera, et cetera. I, I you know for all of my value in my Kipo collection, some of it is only because it's, it's 60 years old, and I kept it in good shape. Or it's because it was an obscure title that now has become Right. Because of movies or something like that. But my ability that when they first had, uh, like, as you mentioned, the, um, overprinting of things in the nineties, there was a black and white explosion and then an implosion because the market couldn't sustain right. that number of stunts. They had prismatic covers. They had, you know, six different covers. And if you're a true collector, you're going to get them all. And I just, I was more of a reader than a collector all of my life. So I really wasn't lured by all that. I would, like, my particular thing was, I like wraparound covers. So if there were choices to be made, and I could get one that actually had ooh two big pictures instead of one, I really liked those. Were they more scarce? I really didn't care. It was my personal preference. Right. In some cases, I should have gone with. Oh, it's the photo negative version. That's the one that's really scarce. They, I just, I, I have some things that are super obscure because the dealer that I was working with would often like give me their. You know, the stores got allocated a certain number. Right. They would make sure because I was their biggest buyer that I would also get the most destined to be scarce type thing and sometimes it was like, well that's not even my favorite cover. It looks cool, but it's not like right. the most comic booky, but I still thank thank you m M&M distributors, thank you Moon back in Chicago for occasionally having done that for me. The people that are really trying to do that, I think that they they kind of um they're being suckered a little bit. You know what I mean? That that, yeah. that uh, the artificial sales inflation, the artificial scarcity, that's not the way that true value and these kinds of things come through I, uh, when I have looked into you know a whole bunch of online discussions about what really makes for things valuable and when it's like well comic books didn't exist before I was born, like wow buddy you you really <laughs> you've cut yourself off not only from the Golden Age, the Silver Age, the Bronze Age, the marble Age, like when did you start? there's hardly any chance if you're 25 years old of anything being valuable. You know, like one out of a million, like you're saying, the ultimate fallout one. Like, I can start naming the ones that I know might have some real scarcity because an important thing happened that wasn't overhyped. Right, you know, right. The retirement yeah. of Spider-Man, that is Peter Parker, to be Miles Morales, that, let me not to say this, I I think that there's, in every generation, people that are getting fooled, they love the medium, but they think that that's their retirement oh, plan. Oh, oh Yeah friends, Colin, you better be putting things in a 401k because this isn't going to work out well for you. <laughs>
0: Colin gets people down at the shop all the time. They come in on new comic book day, which is no longer a set day because of shipping issues and stuff. It's all over. I didn't know world. that, man. Oh, I was my God. That be the Thursday, man, that was... <laughs> but, but they come in and they are go, so, is this going to be worth money? Is this going to be worth money? And Colin's like, dude, if I knew they were going to be worth money, I'd just buy all the ones that are there. You know I mean? <laughs>
1: exactly. You know? And put and, my and, little sorry sold out placard yeah. up. You know? <laughs> and
0: some of these people, they come in and they, they buy this stuff and then like a month later, bring it back and want to resell it. And they're like, well, it's worth money now, isn't it? No, it's not. You know?
1: or, yeah, or, or maybe it's worth like another quarter. It hasn't yeah. doubled in value in a year.
0: And, and has- people don't understand if you it, you can get it graded. There's that company now that grades it and they've been bought and that's a whole thing. But um you know if you get something graded as a 9.8 that's a big deal. Right. But if it's a comic that nobody cares about, it doesn't matter if it's a 9.8 or a 7. Nobody's going to buy it. And the yeah. difference between really high value comics, a nine point eight and nine point six, can be a lot. If a nine point eight is a thousand, the nine point six might only be a hundred. And part of it is because They're we know, yeah, we That's know there's only twenty nine point eight issues out there, but we've got five hundred that are nine point six. So it changes. Right. You know, and people. Right. And there's a whole lot that goes into that, and people don't yeah.
1: get it. It's, I, you know, I have, as I've been going through my collection and cataloging, I've made a point of being ab- kind of extra harsh on my grading because when I saw that, um, like you said, the incredible tailing off between 9.8 and 9, that it just is this kind of curve. It's not a nice, gentle 45 degree. It's asymptotic and that I don't want to overestimate that my, what I think really might be 9.8s, but who knows what their standards really, really are. If I have the slightest misaligned staple, 9.6. There's all kinds of things that could be just take me out of contention. But it also is fun. I really do have things that I bought them with not from a newsstand, but from a buying service. They were packaged correctly. I read them gently. In some cases, I bought two copies. So I know that one is unread and like has been safe forever. And so I get to have that little fantasy of you know, when you see that a, a 9.8 copy of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, number one, first printing, guaranteed authentic, because there's a certain amount of counterfeiting going on there, just for went for like 245k. It's like, man, I don't need to have a, a bunch of lightning bolts. I just need to have one or two. Yeah, yeah. That would be like, that's a house. That's, right. a, that's a world cruise. That's a forever like, man, how funny that this worked out, that something that, Nobody cared about TMNT when it first came out. They they thought it was just an amusing parody, and it was only the advent of those guys continued to do well. It became an animated thing, and the public opinion, not opinion, awareness of it just exploded. And then, you know, once you have cereal and cereal bowls and neckties and whatever else, and it's in the public consciousness, I'm like, well... I, I had it from the start. How cool is that? Yeah. I never would have bet on this. Never. Right. You yeah. <laughs>
0: and there's other ones that you think are great and never goes anywhere. And
1: it, it never goes off. anywhere. Exactly. So, so, you so
0: men- oh, sorry. Uh, I was just going to say, uh, you mentioned uh, other toys of our youth. So what, what's forefront in yeah. your
1: mind on that? It's been an interesting conversation a couple times because, for instance, I, I had a cool thing, you know, the way that, um, let's see, is it Venus and us? Um, if you look at how we rotate around the sun orbit, of course, um, it isn't, you know, first of all, it's not a circle. It's kind of an ellipse and our relative position to each other, when you plot those things out and do it over the course of a bunch of time, it makes a beautiful spirograph diagram. Yes. And so it was like, well, who know, knew that when I was like playing with spirograph when I was young, I just thought I like symmetry. I like multiple colors. How cool is this that, you know, with a different geared wheels uh, it takes me like 78 rotations to return to my original position and in the act of doing it it's created this beautiful thing who knew i was studying astrophysics right. <laughs> at the time you know what i mean right and i just like uh then num- i i kind of knew because i had done it but a, a number of people popped on my page saying you know that's still available you can still get yeah the super Spire graph with all the wheels and the multiple pens in it they've you know where you can um, pin down the main wheel that you're going to rotate around or within with pins so that you don't get that. Oh my God, it moved and now my pattern is spoiled. They really over the course of time continue to refine it and that today's spirograph is just beautiful. And I, I, I loved toys like that where, um, a certain amount of from, from simplicity, you can create complexity. If you have Legos or Lincoln logs or something like that, you can make Really cool things, sometimes just experimenting with yourself, or sometimes with a little bit of a plan as to here's how to build the Taj Mahal. You know what I mean? Um, I, I love finding out that some of those things have stood the test of time, that I'm not the only kid from the sixties that was fascinated with it, that every generation growing up has had a chance to still play with Spirograph, still play with various different that's board just games. That yeah, Etch a Sketch, exactly. Um, play-doh you know working with clay and and being able to quickly see how good are you at capturing a caricature of something or making it look really realistic and i don't know i i love playing with those kinds of things because they're so um open-ended you can yes. do anything you want with them me and my best friend Stu growing up we used to make little plays with like you know, oh no! Uh, you know, here comes a guy walking along, and he steps, and it's a man-eating log. And you have a little cone made out of play doh that grabs his leg. And you know, so we had all, of course, you know, young boy sensibilities, all seem to well, involve someone dying horribly. <laughs> right. So but, but it just was when you had the the play doh and and uh, thing maker and all the various different ways you could make creepy crawlies. I used to specialize in mini dragons. Do you remember these? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The thing maker version where it had pieces of a dragon that had the little arrows that could go through holes so you could piece together like a breastplate and the back and put some wings in him and put some horns out of his head. And if you got really good with um, plastic goop, you could like make it so that it wasn't just all one color. You would put in little red nostrils and let that bake and then a little like purple nose and let that bake and then put green so that you had kind of a mandrel face on your mini dragon. And and of course, you know, I did I made mini dragons for like both of my parents' cars where it hung from the uh rear view mirror and they were like just good luck tokens. I gave them to my friends. I had my particular favorites that I always kept on my desk, whatever else it might nice. be. Of course, later on you learn that plastic Goop gave off probably toxic fumes and yeah, you have breathing is, all that in right? when you were yeah. it, you know. <laughs> But but luckily I didn't like lean over it and just, you know, strap a, a feed bag of plastic coupon. on. I think that I avoided brain damage. But the open-endedness of those things of here's the molds and here's how you could do the various there's different types and i just got really creative i started to have like what favorite colors do i like but i did sometimes i make them all one color and sometimes contrasty and i don't know man i just it i, I don't remember tiring of them i remember running right. out of plastic goop and it become unavailable because it had been shown to be perhaps harmful and then i kind of like that toy it had to go away like the easy bake oven had to like the various other things but Having that kind of toy that wasn't just, well, yeah, I, I mentioned also I'm kind of good at puzzles. One of the difficulties with puzzles is once you solve them, well, that's kind of it. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. done, you done know, And you can do, you can force yourself. That's a bad way to put it, because I haven't forced myself. Sometimes you say, well, what else could I do with this? Let's see if I can make it so that all the colors are on one side, or there's a river of colors, or I can make so all the colors don't touch each other, and there's other complicated, more scarce solutions that you can pursue. So that's one of the joys of Kadon Game Puzzles is she's really good about a simple solution, even though it's difficult because there's only so many of them, is this. And then if you want to put additional conditions into the thing, you can make symmetry matter. And uh, uh, you know, color coordination matter and stuff like that. And she's wonderfully playful and rigorous with how they've been able to get a lot of value out of this same set of, uh, 10 gram pieces or, yeah. you know, uh, uh, um, polyominoes and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so my brothers and I had a couple of years running this cool thing of, you know, my older brother had a Robbie the robot, it was a robot that you could actually build that you could wind it up and it would walk along and it had to have the right gears and just the right you know relationship to each other and clack it all together and while it walked the head would go up and down and uh, you know it it was one of those things that uh he loved when he was young but then it really did go off the market if i remember correctly well my younger brother found a copy a real complete working copy if not mint in box at least not missing any major pieces and got it for him for Christmas, and you could just see, like, the years fall away and this wonderful glow of, you know, sometimes it's kind of fun to go back and wallow in. This was fun when I was young, and and I never thought I'd have it again. You know what I mean? So here it is. Pirograph, Robbie the Robot, you know, Casper the Ghost, whatever those various different things have been, it's really cool. I love it. My younger brother loved Hot Wheels. Hot and Wheels. There any of those, but there were certain they were really hard to get. And then when you get it for him finally, he's like, I always wanted the Beatnik Bandit or whatever. That,
0: you <laughs> remember like racetracks where you'd squeeze little things and they'd be in the slots and just go around in a circle? It's like, exactly. it, when you look at it now, it's like, okay, they, they don't change speed. So you're just, you know, whatever. Um, it's gyroscopes, I used to love gyroscopes and yeah, playing with the yeah. balancing.
1: Um, exactly, we used to make big tracks out of Hot Wheels, where we actually could make it that the supercharger would make it that it would be enough to make a jump, and you would adjust it so that things like either would make the jump or fail spectacularly, right. and that was funny too. Yeah, we used absolutely. to make big tracks out of. We had uh, train tracks, you know, that that you could fit together, and we used to make. You can't make a uh, like a Lionel or any. Locomotives can't go fast enough to really do a loop-de-loop. Right. What we discovered was marbles fit into those train tracks because the gauge was just right. And so we used to do very cool things with how far can I make a marble jump like consistently and accurately so that even if, oh no, the bridge is out, this little hand car of a marble is going to be able to make the nice. jump. We spent eons, how much can I bank a track? And it'll be able to maintain the speed and come zooming out the other side. So... Whatever you learn about, you know, physics and stresses and, and speed, we, we didn't just stay with, okay, the box has this track, and so build this track and then run it. Oh, and yeah. We all, always experimenting and always. <laughs> yeah.
0: I mentioned uh, before the Evel Knievel bike, and they're remaking it. Uh, you know, it's just friction. You see how fast you can get it go and see how far you can go. And it's always, well, make it a little higher, make it a little longer, make it some rough stuff before it jumps. and always seeing what it can do but the thing is and that's funny because i I, i'm i I remember buying lego for my kids and people would buy lego for the kids and jason loves lego but they sell them we have
1: tons of lego in the family
0: yeah but they sell them in kits mostly now with instructions right. so you put it together and then it's a display that you put on a shelf and i'm like that's missing the point and i love to get the just boxes of plain legos for kids and yes go experiment yeah, go I, play go build something
1: it, it's funny I, I we were blessed to have my mom's whole family was still in germany except for uncle, uncle gunther who had come to chicago and lived near us every year we got care packages from germany for christmas of legos 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 and so we had over the years accumulated like kids would want to come over to our house to play because we had more lego than they had ever seen and exactly what you're saying it wasn't here's the kit that allows you to build the pirate ship yo-ho and then you're done it was just all different kinds of things and there were some innovative things where they started to have you know um smaller pieces, larger pieces, uh, uh, see-through pieces, different colors, that kind of stuff. But it was still absolutely your imagination that would say, am I going to build a swimming pool? Am I going to build a locomotive? Am I going to build a Godzilla? And... I, I love going to Legoland. You know, there's a couple of them out uh, in California. There's one down in Columbus that we've never been to, which is one of those, I kind of can't believe it. The first <laughs> moment that I learned of it, how did I not jump in my car and drive down? Right. Yeah, it's two hours this away. Thing that's only two hours away. How in the world? So having said that, to see people are able to make like Mount Rushmore in scale, huge out of Lego, it's very cool to see the Lego artists that really have that ability to like, Here's the way to work with color and with depth perception and stuff like that. So it looks just like Einstein's face, just like the Eiffel Tower, just like Mount Rushmore. Fascinating stuff. I Nobody in the world but us had these. My dad worked at a company called Jetron that dealt with plastics. And at one time, he brought home what we called brown blocks. They were like this long and um, kind of like a two by four, this uh, tall and this wide slightly. And we must have had hundreds of them. Well, no notches, no nothing that was like, here's how they work, but they must have been uh, 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 an end of a job that didn't get have to get done. So he had just cut them into pieces of these various different sizes, and they were the ultimate, like, build whatever you want to. They had enough heft to them so that, you know, this, here, we, here we go. I had two brothers, so it's all boy stuff in our house. We used to build skyscrapers where you'd like create a base and then go up with the things and put a lintel across the top and make sure that it was all square and stable. And then put the next layer, the next layer, we could go like eight high, higher than we could easily reach. So you had to be really careful. And it was like, well, how cool is this? That this is stable, even though it doesn't have any, there's no... Uh, glue. There's no you know, pegs that are holding it together. It's just based on if you saw it leaning a little bit, you'd build it so that it leaned the other way. <laughs> right. Things were not um, perfectly equal. So you had to account for some things just had a little bit of a bevel on the top and you had to put that so it would compensate in the next layer. My dad had also made us rubber band guns. Oh, yeah. In form of wood. <laughs> That had a, a close pin here, and yep. you could string a rubber band and help it held this, and then by letting up on the thing, we'd shoot a rubber band. Well, little weenie rubber bands weren't good enough for us. We had these big hango rubber bands. Oh yeah, and if you hit with it, it really could give you a sting. But it could, as you might be aware, move things at a distance. So we would build this big skyscraper, and then get as far away as we could in the room, and start to plink at it to try to knock down one of the bottom supports. So that when you finally move it just enough off, kakroosh, this thing. And my mom would always, you know, if she was at home, she'd be, could you play with something quieter? Well, mom, it was just that one. And then, of course, a half an hour later, another big boom because we just were jerks in terms of, yeah, I hope it didn't give my mom, you know, a splitting headache, a nervous condition, or anything like that. But, we then had, of course, all boys have army men. You'd build yeah. this skyscraper, or sometimes it would be like a, <laughs> a big wall type thing, and you'd put men all over it. And then the first thing was you have to shoot all the men off of it. Right. So you yeah. had to you were a good shot. It wasn't just pot shots; it was really plink. Okay, I got the the guy that was about to throw a mortar at me, or whatever else it might be. And we all got pretty good at that kind of stuff. If there's any way to account for why I'm pretty good with a twenty-two rifle, <laughs> there it is. This, this next to nothing aimable rubber band gun, I was able to compensate for everything that's wrong with it and still be pretty accurate. And then only after you had killed off all the army guys, could you then bring the structure down, burying all the bodies in the rubble. (laughs) What a guy way of thinking. Right, right. (laughs) See,
0: we had that. My, my, My aunt worked at a rubber plant. So we literally had a like refrigerator sized box full of various sized rubber bands. And some of them were huge. So my uncle had the we didn't have guns. We had shotguns that were like, you know, two, three feet long because of the rubber bands. And my uncle devised they have
1: Yeah, Yeah. two feet feet long at both. Yeah, okay. Right,
0: (laughs) they 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 have them now with Nerf guns, where it's like a machine gun. But my uncle devised one with a rotating wheel, so we could put uh, something like six, seven of these rubber bands on at once and just keep pulling the trigger. (laughs) So dangerous. Uh, And one of the things, (laughs) my uh, oh, you mentioned the Lego. My grandmother worked at the Goodwill. In Akron, which at one time was like the hub for all of Northeast Ohio. And people would bring in their stuff and there'd be like loose Lego in there. Well, they're like, well, we can't really sell one little Lego. So she just threw them all. So my cousin got a garbage bag full of Lego for Christmas. I mean, <laughs> how cool is that to dump? You got to dump it out, right? You got to exactly it yeah. It has to be the cascade of joy yes. that is all this Lego. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. And for <laughs> my daughter, and this was the, one of the cool things I remember with the kids, she liked building. She was a builder, and engineer okay. and stuff. So there's a company that had a full uh, woodworking building set all made out of like styrofoam. It had a saw and a hammer and nails and screws and a screwdriver and joists and all sorts of stuff. Then it had logs, round logs, flat logs, all various sizes. So you could take the saw and literally cut it like it was real wood. Wow. And then you could nail cool. it like it was real wood
1: and build like, yeah, stuff.
0: And yeah. that was the coolest, I think the coolest thing I got any of the kids when they were little.
1: <laughs> that's, you know, I, if you don't, I, like, I remember I used to like making kinetic things. By that meaning I'd make a big tower out of Lego that you could drop a marble in at the top and it had the series of ramps that would take it all the way down the tower until yep. it came out with a little exit at the bottom. And once in a while it would get stuck. and would be like, oh, there must be that the marble is just, you know, things weren't exactly the same. They tried to be that they were just machine perfect, especially them coming out of, you know, Holland, the Germanic countries, you would have thought, no, there must be exactly a to just you know, specification. But we we would fix those things. One of the very first puzzles that I ever made, I made a big cube that had passageways in it, a maze inside of it that they then, I I must've done this 10 years before I ever saw anybody else have it, where you put a, a marble in and inside wood or inside a series of plates of glass where there's little runs, You would work your marble through this maze to come out the other side. Well, mine was, if you will, even more difficult because it was opaque. Legos are (laughs) opaque. I didn't have enough clear, so you'd put it in and you could like kind of like rattle it to hear where it was relatively. And then I, I really did not just build in one path. Of course, it had dead ends and places you could get stuck and have to go not get stuck but like dead end and then have to work your way back out. And I was just so proud of this thing. It was one of the first things that I never took apart. You know, otherwise you'd make something and then you, you go on, you build another car, you build another Godzilla. I just like, this is worth like keeping around for a while. You know what I mean? When I got to uh junior high and we were doing in our woodworking class, I recreated something like that where I made a thing out of like, It was pretty big, either six by six or eight by eight cubes. And with a drill press, you can make it so that you can go straight through a cube or make in halfway and halfway and make an L and that kind of stuff. And I built a cool maze that if you glue those together well so that the glue doesn't ooze out and create its own little Man, it just... and, And when I showed people the diagram of how I had figured it, you know, I really had like Here's, here's where to drill and here's how each cube is going to have these things. And it looked like brain surgery. It looked really complex. Nice. But, it was like, what, but I see it. I see it in my head. This is exactly how it's going to work. And so I got an A. I got, you know, the the, the guy like, uh, um, what was his name? Um, doesn't matter. Mr. <laughs> Mr. A does matter because he was a really good guy. He was very like, you know, that's going to be a lot of work and it's going to be painstaking and you could make mistakes. It's like... Don't you I, just want to make a little plaque to
0: put on the wall? <laughs>
1: exactly. Exactly. Don't you want to make a tie rack? Exactly. Yeah, Don't right. you to... <laughs> Actually, now that I think of it, this must have been in high school instead of junior high. Because, boy, it's kind of funny. Uh, he, Mr. Israel was so nice that I think of all my, uh, like, home ec and industrial education teachers as being cool like he was you know he became the wow you know you really didn't do that. okay you know was really good at helping people to not get killed you know if you're gonna like <laughs> that's the shop teacher's <laughs> job you know, uh, well you know like if you're gonna work a lathe and you're trying to make you know and like you your kids didn't wear ties to school back then but if you had long hair you really could get in serious trouble if you weren't careful and if you even had sleeves that were not right so he was continually like you never um step up to a machine with it running you make sure that you always turn it off when you leave you make sure that you know exactly you don't want to like you don't check the 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 saw to see if it's running you make sure it's off and you're in, I it's just, oh, in I was running. <laughs> you're just you know be aware of your surroundings and stuff and he was really good at nobody had to be made an example of i know that's a terrible way to put it but we but now, yeah. as far as i know we never had a tragedy even when people were clearly trying to not to be think, stupid you know what I mean? <laughs> exactly that so, well,
0: so you mentioned uh the, the puzzle thing i've got a box still where it has 9 10 11 that age range uh mm-hmm. i used to take notebook paper, tape it together, get little screws and stuff, and make board games. And I've got board games based on E.T. and Indiana Jones and the Empire's Rx Back. I've got cards yeah, really with it cool. and everything. So I've yeah, still got those.
1: Yeah. From Eon. and I used to have a huge war game collection, and we used to not only play the game as it should be, but have all kinds of variations that we would come up with. And he was brilliant in... Not only creating a game, but like start to talk about the dynamics of a game. How is it balanced so that each player has a chance to, to win? What are, you know, what's the, how do you know what the goals are and be able to, I don't know. He was, he, he should be a game designer today. I think instead he's a, like a bank officer. You know what I mean? He really got good at still organizing things, if you will. But that was some of those early signs of he could have made spiele. He could have made really good, complex, well balanced games that everybody, uh, that are just the right amount of Luck and skill, and planning ahead, and taking advantage of new opportunity. He was really great at understanding those things from the Avalon Hill days, from the, yeah, uh, the TSR discussion. days, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so,
0: okay, thinking back, uh, toys, uh, there are a couple things I had when I was younger that I wish I still had. Totally mm-hmm. have hardly, I, one I've seen. So it was Star Trek, and it was a big platform, and you had. A, a center post with an arm, and it had the Enterprise hanging off of it. But then you had a control that would control a fan that was in it, and it would lift up. And then you'd tilt it, and it would go in a circle. And you had cool. little stuff to pick up, so you'd have to time it and go down. So of course, yeah. you know, let's see how fast I can go and still pick stuff up. <laughs> Wee things flying everywhere. Right. The other thing, and these I've never seen all of before. They were Star uh, Star Wars ships. Uh, you know. Small, good-sized models, but they were a heavy metal, and I had a TIE Fighter, uh, uh, Darth Vader's TIE Fighter, and a Y-Wing, those three, Okay. and I don't even know what they were called, and I've only ever found the TIE Fighter anywhere. I've never found the other ships at all. So yeah. it,
1: there's still some things. You can't even that, like look for them if you can't know who made them and what they were called right. and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: And the, you know, I have fond memories. It's funny how you have fond memories of this stuff. Some of it may have been complete crap, you know, but when you were eight, it was the coolest thing.
1: Exactly. Yeah. I I remember loving Skittle Bowl and Skittle Pool. Oh. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Your, yeah. Where you had a, uh, uh, ball a, a wood ball on a string that could rotate around a mass that it was attached to and you could swing it around and then hit it, 10 pins nice. little wooden guys yeah. and we got really good at it and i uh i got skittle pool and i actually the um the way you did that was that the um you'd set up the ball next to a I me mean, I gotta say this as you know, you can hit a ball into another ball, and the second ball is the one that goes away. The first one stays, the second one goes away. That was the whole basis of it. Is you'd swing something into a stationary ball, and it would send another ball out, and that's how you play the game. Right. Well, this was not well-designed enough in terms of the first ball actually cracked off of where it was glued to the base, and then the game is unplayable. And I have looked forever for I tried gluing it, and there's no glue that's strong enough to, ma- to maintain against the clacking, you know, like it's all the impact is exactly the opposite of where the glue holds. So glue has to have both, um, you know, like vertical and horizontal strength, if you will. And I just never been able to repair it. And I've never been able to find it again. Uh, So that's one of those things that if hey, brothers, you know, Armin and Bruce, if you're uh, listening, (laughs) if ever you find a copy of Skittle Pool for me, it would be very cool to return to that and get a few more rounds in because I used to love, you know, that whole playing. I love shooting pool. I think we talked about this before. In, at U of I, I got really good, but could never get past certain people who were really, really good. Right. But the whole point of shooting pool about learning angles and learning how to judge the amount of um, effort. Force. effort, you are going to put something in. Learning how to control spin so you can actually make things top spin or backspin go further or come back towards you. How to do a mass A shot where you actually can make it spin. I just, I loved learning such a practical application of... <laughs> Like these are like little atoms that I'm in control, right? Do you know right. what I mean. It just was when you do a complex shot and it works just right. It's just such like I'm the master of the universe. I did right. a three carom right into the pocket. I saw it in my head and I was able to maintain body control enough, pook that I did it exactly where I want. And the cue ball is just where I want it for my next shot. I I can't believe I can do this. I'm really like getting that's good at this. A, that's a, a skill, definitely. <laughs> it really is. I. I think I many I, I may have told you this story before. Me and a guy named Tom used to always meet at tournaments at U of I, and he was just so good. And even we, you know, usually it was like a 150 ball tournament. You know that, that whoever got to 150 balls first, I could be up like 90 to 20 on him. I might have had a really good series of runs, and he had bad ball placement, whatever else it might be. And I can't tell you how many times he just ran rack after rack after rack and made me eat death because he was so good <laughs> you know what i mean where you can't even get a, an insurmountable lead as long as he's able to shoot on the table he could still take you out like, wow i have such admiration for someone that has the steely nerves and the skill and the like i couldn't i could not like the guy i was admiring of the guy that like even though I'm up on him by almost 100 balls, he's like, just give me a shot and I'll show you what I can do. As, <laughs> you know, as, as long yeah. as he's not uh, a jerk about it. Yeah. You know, there's different personalities. Was the yeah. It wasn't the, you know, uh, it's a nightmare, ain't it? It wasn't anything like Color of Money and other pool movies that you might have seen where some part of it is the mind game and the taunting. No. He and I really, I think he respected me as an opponent, even if I never got past him. Man. <laughs> it was <laughs> a good enough challenge. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. Well, I will look. Next
0: time we go to Hartville, I don't know, maybe next year sometime, I'll, I'll look for Skittle Ball. I don't recall ever seeing it because that would have attracted me. Oh, that looks cool, you know.
1: Yeah, like, uh, Skittle Ball is the one that's more available. Skittle Pool is the difficult cool. one, that it's actually a, a version of Shooting Pool, if you will. So Got it. Anyway. I did
0: see <clears throat> something from whatever, early 1900s, uh, yeah. It was all metal, hand cast and stuff. But it was, you step on it to get your weight and give it your uh, birthday, and it spits out a little card with the prediction for your future, fortune-telling machine. So you don't see important. that anymore, <laughs> you know, not like that. And I was I was like, man, I would love to have that just because you don't see that. Right. They're so cool.
1: I think one of the reasons, kind of as our closing comment, that I'm still fascinated with pinball is because it brings all those things into play. There's a certain amount of skill that you can have in how you handle the ball with your flippers that it's it's all physics. There's all kinds of things they do to, even though it's solid state, it really is that there's bumpers and there's spinners and all that kind of yeah. stuff, but there's still true interaction with it, not just pachinko where you send the ball up and hope. It's not only odds. It, I just love interacting with something where someone really designed it to be there's easy and difficult shots, and you have to do a series of difficult shots in a row to get the big bonuses. But if you can do it, then I'll give you all the points. You know what I mean? And just, and I love that they have all the variations on, well, let's have the theme be uh, Kiss the band or Elvira or, you know, the latest TV show. Let's, let's go with, you know, I I just, I love the fact that they have a way of embracing it. Well, there should be a whirlpool involved here. I can do a whirlpool where the ball goes right. I, I I love the creativity and the when you get a really great game, I think I might have mentioned my favorite game of all time is called Scared Stiff, which is Elvira as the um hostess, if you will, on the game. It's got such a great combination of multiple skill shots and multiple progressions towards getting a big bonus and like nine different things that you can be working on. Hit it into the treasure chest, you know, hit the little creepy crawlies. And it talks to you all the time. It's like, nice shot. Or, you know, and of course she's mocking, you know, oh, yeah, stuff. Yeah. but it's just, while I'm, it's one of those games, I find it really easy to fall into the zone and work on various different things. And opportunistically, I'm not only working on one thing. I'm like, well, so this position is what I should be doing is going after the, I find it one of those things that it's very satisfying to do well at that. He set up all these challenges that the designers and the, the makers of it and, when you when you when you make it so that it's giving off so many lights and sounds that people around you are looking at like what are you doing over there it's the best game of all (laughs) to be able to really set it off you know kind of like when you play apollo 13 and you get 13 ball multi-ball everybody stops and watches what the heck you're doing because you conquered this bad boy nice (laughs) nice anyway so okay (laughs)
0: Uh, we didn't get the Free Guy and uh, Ready Player One, which is part of the nostalgia <clears throat> trip. But did you
1: see Shang Chi? I have not yet. In fact, okay. we went to see Free Guy, uh, safe in the theater, masks on, and so forth, because I, uh, Colleen, had expressed that she really would like to see that one, and, and she didn't know enough about Shang Chi. So you know, I gave up the comic book movie in order to get the we can both enjoy it type movie, and and we really had a nice time. Yeah, so we'll it's, have to yes. talk about
0: that a little more. I enjoyed that one too. Okay, uh, all right, man. Hey, take care
1: always a pleasure Stephen yep, okay. have a good week You bet. welcome oh, to bye. fall thank you uh, <laughs> you know I'm, I'm hoping for news at about 2.15 that's going to make me a very happy boy
0: yeah please let's, let's hope for that because you know I don't want to catch anything from you There's computer virus exactly what if I was like like
1: spewing on
0: you what if you have that digitizer in your microphone that sends it through the net
1: exactly is that COVID-15 <laughs> meaning base 16 that's and it's you. your one step away okay all right man later take care bye bye
0: You have been listening to the Relentless Geekery Podcast. Come back next week and join Alan and Stephen's conversation on geek topics of the week.